0: Uh, if you guys aren't familiar kind of with Christian, American Christian pop culture slang, uh, next week is what they've now defined as Back to Church Sunday 2019. And um, it's kind of funny that we have coined that phrase and made a weekend out of Back to Church. And, you know, we live in an area that I, it's beautiful. Who doesn't want to be outside and enjoy like this amazing creation that God's placed us in here in North Idaho? But we're reaching a season of the year where everybody's sort of returning uh, back to church. And we want to acknowledge that. But the last two weeks, we, we spent some time going back. We talked about a psalm uh, in 128 where we talked about fearing the Lord and doing uh, what He has commanded us to do. Uh, last week, we went back and we talked about the fear of God, just to kind of reiterate some of that. And uh, this morning, I, I've really had it on my heart the last couple of weeks to kind of go back again and lay a foundation for us before we even kind of enter into this back to church season. Um, we're, we're sort of entering the season where everybody's coming back to church, everybody's trying to find a church and figure out where they belong And so there's a lot of visitors, and uh, there's a lot of familiar faces and people that just haven't been around in a while. And I I just had it on my heart the last couple weeks that I I think it's important for us to define uh, what the church is and what the purpose of the church is. Um, And and so I I feel like as a church, uh, if you're new with us, or maybe you've been with us for a while and you've never heard us define this for you, um, you don't know who we are and what it is we're trying to create and what the way we see Scripture and what Jesus' purpose for the church is. And I kind of want to just out of the gate talk about those things this morning. And, and so I'm going to blast through a lot of passages this morning um, to sort of make a point, but the primary passage that I'm going to be in this morning is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, which um, verse 18 is a verse that I think most of you know, which we would define as the Great Commission, right? Anybody familiar with that passage? And so I want to dig into those four verses this morning and camp out there, um, and again, I, my my. My purpose this morning is I want to define um, what the church is and why the church exists. And I think that this is a question that followers of Jesus need to know the answer to. Um, Followers of Jesus need to live out the mission of the church that God has called us to. And we need not to just talk about living out the mission of the church, but we need to actually do it. Uh, we need to measure the success of any church based on whether the church is actually fulfilling the purpose of, his, of its existence. And uh, C.S. Lewis took a crack at answering this question of why the church exists. And this is what C.S. Lewis said. Anybody familiar with C.S. Lewis? Most of you? This is what C.S. Lewis said. Listen to this. The church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself, are simply a waste of time. God became human for no other purpose. That's a really bold statement that he makes. And many of us in this room were taught to be really careful when using words like always or nothing, right? Uh, Like, be careful when you use those words because they're so definitive, but, but there always seems to be exceptions. And so never, only, and nothing are these really definitive words, these defining words. And so C.S. Lewis meant to draw some sort of line here when he says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ. Um, I wanna pray and then we'll get back into this. But if you guys would just bow your heads with me, maybe grab the hand of the person to your right and to your left. And um, let's just make sure Jesus is a part of this time this morning in moving in and through us. Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity we have for your church, these people gather here this morning, to be together. God, we thank you for the fellowship that occurs. We thank you for the worship that occurs. We thank you, um, Jesus, for the work that you're doing in and through the hearts of the individuals in this room and the families in, the, in this room and the relationships in this room. I pray this morning, Jesus, that you'd help us to have a very clear picture as to uh, what your church is and what you've called us to. And uh, God, I just pray that you'd um, bless this time. I pray your spirit would move through this time and you'd challenge us, you'd edify us, equip us, and send us as the church that you've called us to be, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen you guys all right? All right, cool. So in the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then also the book, book of Acts, um, you, you have a, a charge that was given to the church. So in each of these cases, in each of these books, it sounds a little bit different, but it's the same exact charge, that we exist to make disciples, is, is this word that's used followers of Jesus, that that our life as one family or as one community is meant to bring the transforming power of Jesus into our community, into our region, into our world, and it's far more than attempting to share the gospel with as many people as we can. Uh, I went through a season of my life where I spent 15 years on the road traveling with skateboarders, sharing the gospel message of Jesus, and inviting people to come to make decisions to follow after him. Uh, nothing was more disheartening for me in that season than people who would come to us as nonprofit building strategists and saying things like, if you can just have a number for your donors of how many people are being reached for the gospel of Jesus, if you can just let us quantify how many people got saved this last year, and I, I would like cringe when I would hear them say that. Well, if you really want to raise money, then you have to be able to quantify how many people are being saved. And so give us a number, you know, is it like a thousand? Is it 5,000? Like we need to know the number. And I used to get so frustrated because I felt like we were boiling people's like donations and what they would give down to, um, we were justifying it based on how many people were being saved. And we were throwing out a number that we had no clue as to what that actually was. And and so, um, again, we exist to make disciples, um, but I don't want that to be just this attempt that we share the gospel with as many people as we can so we can have more stars on our helmets and say that we've um, had more people get saved than last year. Um, and, And I also think that it's more than attempting to get as many people as possible to say the sinner's prayer. I mean, we can't really water it down enough to say that getting saved is just repeating this prayer. Um, the, The Bible's pretty clear that it's about making disciples who in turn make disciples. So it's followers of Jesus who actually take on the task of making followers of Jesus. It's about being so touched by the gospel message of Jesus that the gospel message in you actually touches others. So my question for you this morning is who is the gospel touching through you right now in your life? I want you to sit on that for a little bit. Who is the gospel message of Jesus in you touching through you right now? I once heard a pastor say that if the gospel in you isn't touching others, then it hasn't touched you. I think that was a really interesting statement. If the gospel gospel in you, like the way Jesus has moved in you and transformed you isn't touching others, that it hasn't touched you because when you're touched by it, when you're moved by it, when you're transformed by it, you in turn begin to share that transformation with others. They not only see it, they hear it, they experience it, they want to be around it. And so I suppose that we could say that the purpose of the gospel touching you is twofold. First, that, that God became human for no other purposes than for his gospel to touch you and me. That his plan was to touch you and make you his. And then second, that the gospel in us is now meant to touch others. That the purpose of every sermon you hear, every book you read, every encounter you have in the scriptures is not simply just to give you enough for your day or your week so that you can make it through, because that would mean that the whole purpose of the church is about you. But it's not. The the purpose is to strengthen you for the purpose of serving Christ in the world. That, that others' lives would be changed and transformed through you. That you be touched by the gospel, and the gospel would touch others through you. And so, again, as, as we approach this fall, it's this time that we usually joke about people coming back to church, especially in the area that we live in, which has so much to offer. Um, we see people sporadically over the summer, and, and in the fall, our, our Sunday gatherings start to fill up and there's a ton of new people, and then we as leadership in the church, our elders and our stewards and our pastoral staff and our our associate staff, um, begin to map out a plan for our church for the coming year, because our hope is that we're actually going somewhere with this. Like if we're just filling this room on a Sunday to give a, a good worship time and a good message so that you can go home and just be the same as you were when you came, then we aren't really fulfilling the purpose that God has called us to, which is far deeper than to just provide a source of entertainment on a Sunday morning. And so I want to get a little bit real this morning and help lay a foundation for you of where, what we think the church is, believe the church is, and where we believe Jesus is taking the church, what his purpose for the church is, so that you understand what you're ascribing to, what you're a part of here in Anthem Coeur d'Alene. And so, uh, again, I think it's good that we're all on the same page. So I want to start with this simple question this morning, then. What is the church? Um, a, a ton of people today understand the church as a building. How many of you guys have ever heard the church referred to as a building? It's a place. You know, I'm going to this church. I'm going to that church. Our, our church is at this building or at that building Yet it's not a really biblical under, it's not a biblical understanding at all of what the church actually is. The, the word "church" is a translation of this Greek word "ecclesia," which is defined as an assembly. It's defined as the called out ones. It, it, it's those that have been called out by Jesus and then set forth with this purpose. It's His church. And so the root meaning of the word church is not of a building, but it's of a people. And so we want to constantly reference the fact that when we say church, we aren't talking about a place. I think it's awesome that we meet in the Boys and Girls Club, actually, because Anthem, the name Anthem doesn't exist anywhere on this building. So, so we don't tell people we're going to church. We're actually going to the Boys and Girls Club. Um, it actually says Dwayne Hagadon on the front of it, uh, and, and we're actually going there to participate in the church, like the gathering, the assembly of the people that is occurring this morning. And so church is not a building, it's a people. And so it's ironic when you ask people what church they attend because they usually identify some sort of a building. But Romans 16.5 says, greet the church that is in their house. And so Paul refers to this church in their house, not a church building, but a body of believers. And the, the, the church is the body of Christ, of, of which Jesus, as Paul states, is the head. So Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, the ecclesia, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So the body of Christ is made up of all believers in Jesus Christ from the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts until Christ returns. So biblically, we think of the church in two different ways, as the universal church, and then we see it as the local church. And so the universal church would be like the big C church, which would be everyone everywhere who has a personal relationship with Jesus of all time, across the globe, in all, uh, all places. Um, so in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, it says, For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so this, this verse says that anyone who believes is part of the body of Christ and has received the spirit of Christ as evidence. So all those who have received salvation through faith in Jesus comprise this universal church, like the, the global church, and so the local church then if you look at like the book of Galatians for instance Paul references, he says, Paul, an apostle, and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Now he talks about these little seas, the churches that exist in this region. So you see that in this region, Galatia, there were many churches. So they had this localized ministry that was scattered all throughout this region in Galatia. These were the local churches, the little seas all over. So this is the local body of believers. We would say the Church of Coeur d'Alene. And what would we mean by that? Anthem? No, we would mean like the cause, and we would be talking about real life. And like, think of the churches that exist downtown Revelation Church, like, there's a handful of churches downtown. We would say the church of downtown Coeur d'Alene would be these handful of churches that exist down here, but we all comprise the universal church, which is the big C, the body of Christ. <clears throat> so, we as a church do not see the church as a building uh, or a denomination. But according to the Bible, the church is the body of Christ and all those who have placed their faith in Jesus for salvation become these local churches or these gatherings of people who claim the name of Jesus. And so we're all part of this big sea. So with that said, if we understand that what the church is, that it's a people and not a building or a place, then what is the church's purpose? What do we exist for as a body of people? Over the last hundreds of years, even in the United States, you've definitely seen American churches with varying focuses, differing focuses on what the purpose of the church is. So some might say that the purpose of the church is to reach or evangelize the lost. How many of you guys have heard that talked about before? The church exists to reach people that don't know Jesus. Some churches might say that the purpose of the church is to equip the saints, so it's to teach believers, to equip them for the work. Some might say that it's getting believers to do what Jesus did. And so you see churches that have all of these different focuses, but I want to simply look at Matthew 28 this morning, verses 16 through 20. And uh, in this passage, it's this last will, this this last will, testament of Jesus. And he basically gives us four things to help us define the purpose of his church. And you know, there may be many more purposes to his church, but I want to talk about the four things that we can see in this one passage this morning to help us define what it is we're a part of and where it is we're going together. And so turn with me to Matthew 28, verse 16. You guys can say a word when you get there. Are you guys alive? Okay. Uh, there's enough people in this room that we could have a few charismatics here this morning. Matthew 28, verse 16. teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Anybody ever heard that passage before or read it? Every day in our lives, we're, we're sort of awakened to these choices that we have every single day. How many of you guys had choices you had to make when you got up this morning? At least half of you, that's awesome. Most of you were just kind of drug along and told what to do this morning. You didn't have an option. Your wife brought you here. But we go through life and we all have these choices every single day that we have to make. It begins with this choice to get up or to continue sleeping. Most of you that are here chose to get up this morning, right? And who knows the handful that continued sleeping? You send them a text message right now. Uh, You make the decision decision of what clothes you're going to wear, which, you know, for my 14-year-old son, might take an hour, you know? He needs to stand in front of the mirror, make sure he looks good, make sure the shoes match. But you make a choice as to what you're going to wear. Get up, not get up. What am I going to wear? You make a choice whether or not you're going to have breakfast in the morning or you're just going to go get coffee or you're not going to eat or have anything at all. You make a decision on a daily basis whether or not you're going to pray or you're not going to pray. You make a decision... At work, you have all kinds, a slew of choices you have to make in your jobs every single day. You make decisions with regards to where to eat, where to get lunch, what to eat for lunch, where to get dinner, what to eat. And it's the same is true for the church. We have to decide daily that we're actually going to follow the purpose that Christ gave his church. And it's a decision we make because it does not just happen you have to choose it. And if we're going to follow his will, then we actually have to know the desire of his heart. Like what is his purpose for his church? And so essentially we'll ask, why do we exist? And I believe that Jesus gives us some of these answers in Matthew 28. And so before I even dig into that, I want to preface it by saying this. From the beginning of time, what was God's hope for mankind? Anybody? What was God's hope for mankind? that that man would actually be in relationship with his creator, right? That that God would actually have a relationship with with mankind, with, with who he created. But what got in the way of that? Sin. Good job. So proud of you guys. So sin gets in the way of that relationship. We see in in the book of Genesis, right? And throughout the Old Testament, we see God's continual pursuit of mankind and trying to reconcile that which is broken. God continues to go after man because he wants to give man another chance. He wants to be reconciled with his creation. But God uh, has been this God of redemption since the fall. He wanted to redeem us. He wanted to give us another chance. And so he desired that each individual would be reconciled to the creator. And so the, the Bible portrays the behavior of mankind sort of cyclically. If you read through the Old Testament, from this high point of alignment with God's character and God's will, man's conduct sort of deteriorates and sin increases and gets the best of man. And so sin's fruit is what? It's confusion, sin's fruit is pain, sin's fruit is suffering. And then these things begin to grow as these individuals and these societies move farther from their creator. The, the, the farther the chasm gets, the worse sin mounts. And, and so then we see in the Old Testament, like, harm increases. And eventually, the, the pain reaches this point where people yearn for salvation. They want to be redeemed. They want to be reconciled. And so God would raise up a man or raise up a woman, this deliverer, that would then lead the people back to him to help them realign with his will. And so you'd have this deliverer that the Lord brings people back to him through. And this is sort of the cycle of redemption that you see in the Old Testament. And so all throughout the Old Testament, God is providing ways for mankind to be redeemed through these deliverers of sorts. And so we we see the Israelites coming out of captivity, coming out of slavery, and being led into the wilderness for 40 years under Moses' leadership. And God institutes this idea of this tabernacle. You guys heard this word before? This dwelling place of God on the earth, this tabernacle, this portable earthly dwelling place of Yahweh. And and so God used um, this place, this tabernacle, this portable tent that's being set up as they're moving, as the place that people could actually engage God. It was through this tabernacle. And so the, the tabernacle was where sacrifices could be offered. It was where worship was given to God. The, the people's sins could be atoned for through sacrifice so that they could worship God wholeheartedly. It was all for the purpose of redemption. And eventually this tabernacle goes away and then what's built after the tabernacle has gone. Good job. This temple is built, and the temple becomes this permanent place that now the Israelites can come and offer sacrifices. They can worship God. It's a place where they can be redeemed. It's a place where they could be wholeheartedly serving God again, and through this this temple, this dwelling place of God. And so if you look back on the theme in the Old Testament, there was sin, man separated from God, God provided ways for man to be a Owned for, for his sin to be made up for, so that many could be reconciled and redeemed back to God. That has been God's heart from day one. So then you fast forward into the New Testament, and it's really awesome. Jesus dies and Jesus raises again, and then he leaves what to dwell in his people? His spirit. I'm proud of you guys. This is good. Bible 101 this morning. He leaves his spirit to dwell in his people. And so just like the tabernacle and the temple that were the dwelling places of God in the Old Testament on earth the people of God become that dwelling place. You and I, the church, the ecclesia, become the, tw- the dwelling place of God. Like the moving tabernacle on this earth, the moving temple on this earth of God resides within us. And so we're these moving tabernacles that begin to offer up redemption and restoration and records, reconciliation. The ability for, for worship to actually occur wholeheartedly so others can be freed from the things that were, they were bound by. And so in, in New Testament verbiage we are the temple that the spirit dwells inside of and his church his ecclesia is that mode that God actually chooses to provide reconciliation to the world through Jesus I mean if that's not insane I don't know what is that God chose us, the, these weak, broken vessels, to be redeemed by Him in order to be the ones that would withhold, like have the, the Spirit of the Living God dwelling in us, that the Spirit of the Living God dwelling in us would be something that everybody else would have the option of partaking in as well. Is that not awesome? It changes our perspective a little bit because it's not about going to church. It's not about people just coming to us. It's about the tabernacle, the temple, the dwelling place of God within us, traveling around and moving around. I mean, you want to see our community be transformed and changed and come to know Jesus, then how's that going to happen? Through you, the dwelling place of God, the church. And so with this understanding that that his church is his people and that we are the temple, what's our purpose on this earth? And so I want to look at that that Matthew section, Um, and I want to to break down four different sort of purposes for us as the church. So the the first one is this, Matthew 28, verse 17 and 18, if you guys would read there with me. It says, and when they saw him, they what? What? worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does that say? That everything has been placed under Jesus. That he is the head. All authority has been granted to him. What is he the head of? He's the head of his body. He's the head of The church. And so this is, this first point here is that um, the first purpose, one of the purposes of the church is to worship God. I think this is the primary purpose, actually, of his church, is to bring honor and glory to him. It's to worship him. It's to acknowledge who he is and who we are. We've talked about this the last couple weeks. We have to have our place. We have to know why God put us on this earth to actually bring glory to him. But something came in between him and us that ceased to allow that worship to occur, didn't it? And it was sin. And Paul refers to it as this in Romans 3:23. He says, "For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. We've all sinned and fallen short of his glory." And so the, the three kind of D's that I want to talk about this morning with regards to worship is this: that one, God deserves our worship. He deserves it. It says, all power and authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. He's deserving of our worship. First Chronicles 16, 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in, splen- in the splendor of holiness. Psalm 90, 95, 6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Psalm 96, 9. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. God deserves our worship. Deserves our worship. The second is this, is that he actually demands our worship. And for some of you, that might sound like a strong word. But God, being who he is, actually commands our worship. You can't see him, experience him, have a relationship with him, and not understand that he is actually demanding worship from your life. Uh, Exodus 20, 1 through 6, which we actually went through. A couple weeks ago, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, i 'I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in, he- in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God.' He, he demands your worship. You cannot serve any other God. You cannot give allegiance to anything else. It's only to God himself. Mark 12, 30 says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Matthew 4, 10. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It's only him. He commands, he demands our worship. And then the third thing is this, that he actually desires our worship. He wants it. He, he, he desires that we would worship him. John 4.23 says, But the hour is coming and now and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is seeking that we would worship him. He, he, he desires that we would bring worship to him. And, and then I want to get into the next three points. So worshiping God is... One of the, 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 the biggest purposes of the church is to bring honor to him, glorify him. But before I get to these next three, three things, I want to make the statement that I actually think the next three things are bringing worship and glory to him. And he says this in verse 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The second thing is that we actually need to reach those that don't know Jesus. First purpose, worship God. Second purpose, reach those who do not know Jesus because you are the dwelling place of the Most High God. Why do we reach unbelievers, those that do not know Jesus? It's not just about stars on our helmets. It's not just about us feeling good about ourselves and what we've accomplished. It's not about us even sending missionaries out into the neighborhoods to just try to rack up as many saved people as we can. But it's because of two things. Because according to Scripture, people that are not saved, that do not know Jesus in this world, are one, blind and bound. There's a problem. Second Corinthians 4, 3-4, Paul says this, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That there's something that has literally blinded them from seeing the truth. And you, the church, the ecclesia, are the ones who reveal the truth to those who are perishing, who do not know him. And the second point is this that they're blind and bound, but the second is that they're condemned. And John three eighteen through 19 says this, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Like if you don't think you have a purpose in the world, it's not just to go get people saved. It's actually to release people from bondage. It's actually to free them. It's to provide a way out. It's to reconcile them with the God that created them. The third thing, verse, the end of verse 19 into 20, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The third thing is this. We have to equip the saved. And I talked about this like several weeks ago with regards to one of the things our church feels really convicted about is that we exist as leaders and pastoral staff in this church to equip the saints for the works of ministry, as it states in Ephesians 4. But Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says this, therefore as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The lost can't be equipped. The lost can't be edified. So this is why the church's sole focus cannot be just on evangelism and reaching those that don't know Jesus because the saved actually need to be taught. The people that are saved actually need to be equipped. The people that are saved actually need to be edified like like we, we need to know that uh, we need to teach students how to learn and leaders how to lead and teachers how to teach and worshipers how to worship and Christians how to be like Jesus. This is part of the, the teaching process. In Second Timothy two, two through three, he says this, and what have you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses? Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We need to teach people, we need to equip people. And in the last portion, we need to edify others. and this happens in the community of the church, in the body of Christ. It says in Ephesians 4:11 and 12. He gave the apostle, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. What does equipping mean? It actually means giving somebody the tools to do the work that they need to do. It means to outfit somebody. It means to equip the ship. It's actually, if you boil it down to the Greek word, it means to equip the ship for battle. And so this is the equipping portion, but then you've got this edification portion. And what does that mean? Edifying is more than just encouraging one another. It actually means any activity that results in more Christ-likeness. One commentator said this, when we exhort one another and hold one another accountable... We're prompted to engage in activities that promote godliness. Accountability means we lovingly check each other's spiritual progress. Christ-like service ensures that the needs of the church are met, and true fellowship is the interaction we have with each other on a deeper, deeper spiritual level. The corporate nature of edification cannot be overemphasized. Without mutual edification, the church becomes a collection of spiritual weaklings, a perpetual nursery for spiritual infants rather than a body or a building the church has to be taught it has to be equipped and it has to be edified and this is part of your role a few weeks ago when we took a collection of like where your gifts are at or where you feel called to serve in the church this wasn't just so we could get to know you and have all your information It's actually so that as we pan the crowd in our church, we go, where has God called and equipped certain people in our church to serve his church? Because some in this church are teachers. Some in this church are called to teach and equip. Some in this church are called to edify and support and come alongside of. We need the body of Christ to play the roles that God has called them to in order for this thing to function as Jesus has called it to. And then the last thing is this, and this is the thing that we will rail on more in the next six months than we ever have before. As we get into the book of Matthew, I literally want to study the book of Matthew for as long as it takes, and I want to go through some of the ways of Jesus, and I want to talk about as a church, as we get to a section, what does it look like for us to live this out this week? What, what, how are we gonna demonstrate what Jesus has done for others? Through our actions. How are we gonna walk in his ways? And so the last thing is this, in verse 20, He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So one of the purposes of the church is to demonstrate the gospel. It's to observe, not just listen, not just be taught, not just take in podcasts and all the videos you can and read all the books you can and fill yourself with knowledge, but it means to observe. And it's really interesting if you take this word observe, anybody know what it might mean in the Greek meaning? It actually means to watch and do. So it doesn't mean to just sit and listen or just sit and watch. It actually means to take what you take in and do something with it. We need to actually be his hands and his feet in our community. Ephesians 4, 1 says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of, to which you have been called. Ephesians five fifteen through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And the last verse I'll share, 1 Peter 2, 21 and 22. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. We need to be a church that will demonstrate the gospel for the community that we live in. I'm ask the worship team to come up here. I realize for some of you that this might be like elementary lingo as we talk about what the church is and why the church exists. But I really want us to have a clear understanding as a church of where we're headed. Because as a church, I, I do not want to play games. Like, I really don't want to be the guy that can, like, preach a good sermon on a Sunday and then get as many Instagram likes as possible. Uh, Austin does not desire to be a worship pastor that just, like, makes sure good performance is put on for the church every single Sunday. We want to be a people that are actually collecting the body of Christ to worship Jesus and in experiencing and worshiping Jesus, in meeting with him and having communion with the most high God, that we actually begin to take what it is he's doing in us and we begin to demonstrate that and walk it out for others because this world doesn't need you, it needs Jesus. But by God's grace, he's actually called you to play a role in this. That's mind-boggling to me, mind-boggling to me, that, that we get to play any role in, in this process. But Jesus, by his grace, has invited us into this process of allowing the glory of God to be de- demonstrated between, through you and I. Is that not awesome? And so when we come to worship God in song, what an awesome opportunity we have because like I stated a couple weeks ago, we're declaring who he is and who we are, and who we aren't. We are not gods, he is God. We're, we're declaring his majesty and his glory. And as we study the word, we're not coming here to just hear a sermon and to take this good knowledge and to be challenged for an hour on Sundays and then leave and go home. But we're actually wanting to digest his word, like eat the scroll, as the Bible talks about. We eat the scroll, we digest it, it's written upon our hearts so that we take this as image bearers of the most high God to the rest of the world. We demonstrate it to them. We teach it to them. We equip them. We lead them to streams of living water. And we live in a world that, if you haven't noticed yet, is dying for some living water. Dying for it. Dying for it. My, my wife and I sat at a, at a high school football game the other day with um, with our son. And afterwards, I was just overhearing a conversation between one of the kids that was out there and his Um, his his friend and his friend's parents and uh, some things came out that I just realized man this kid has nobody his parents aren't at the game Um, he's literally going to his friend's house after this he's staying there overnight, his friend's parents are taking him to school tomorrow morning Like this kid needs mentorship he needs people that will come alongside of fathers that will be fathers to the fatherless And as I look across this room, I see the older generation and I see the younger generation. I couldn't desire anything less than to watch you older guys and older women in this room empty yourselves into the next generation. I shouldn't have to be the matchmaker. You can look across this room and see who's here and figure out who the Spirit's identifying for you to invest yourself into. It needs to happen. I shouldn't have to stand up here on a Sunday morning and tell you to go share the good news of Jesus with those who don't know him. I actually shouldn't even be the one that you bring those who don't know Jesus to so that I can do that work for you. It's your privilege and your honor to take what God's done in you and to let that light shine for the rest of the world. As a church, you will hear us talk a lot about us praying that our city would look different as a result of this church body? If Anthem Coraline was gone next week, would anybody notice? It's the question our elders always ask. And if the answer to that question is no, then we have failed miserably. My prayer is not to guilt you into following Jesus, but I hope to shake you up a little bit so that you understand the honor and the privilege of the call that God's given you. That is the church. He hasn't asked you to just sit back and ride the church wave and come and go as you please and get involved as little or as much as you want, but to invest your life somewhere with a body of people who are moving in the same direction because we, our prayer, is that the city would look different as a result of each of you walking out the ways of Jesus Anybody in this room perfect? None of you? I'm the only one. I'm just kidding. We're not perfect people. And that's like the grace story in all of this is that God is taking imperfect people and he's assembling us as righteous people because of what Jesus did for us to be image bearers of the Most High God to the rest of this world. It's awesome, it's amazing. I want to pray for you guys as we leave. If you guys would stand with me. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a song. Um, But my prayer is for this purpose here. I sort of think this is a commissioning of sorts because there's a lot of people here. Everybody's kind of back from their summer break. How many of you have felt just rocked by the summer and you're tired and worn out and (laughs) need some energy? How many of you acknowledge this morning that you have very little in you? (laughs) You're just emptied? And my prayer for you as we pray this right now is gonna be that Jesus would fill you up, that he would be all you need, that he would empower you divinely to carry out his purposes on this earth, not out of guilt or compulsion, but out of the prompting of the spirit of the most high God within you. Lay your hands on the person to your right and to your left and let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the honesty of the people in this room. Some that have admittedly said they're tired and worn out. God, some people in this room are tired of church. They're worn out from the model and the the form and function of church that we've sort of perpetuated in America. Jesus, we desperately need a new infilling of you, God. We need your spirit to be that which is driving us, not what the world tells us to do, God, not, not, not what entertainment tells us to do or what our hearts want, but what it is you desire for us. And so I'm praying right now, God, that your spirit come upon your people, that you commission us for the work that you've called us to. Jesus, that you would use this group of people in here to be the teachers and the, those that bring edification and, and those that equip, Lord, that you would use this people in here to reach those that don't know you. You would use the people in here to demonstrate the gospel, to walk out the ways of Jesus for others, and you would use the people in here to be the first to get on their knees and offer up worship to you, acknowledging that their lives are empty, that we are weak without you, that we desperately need you, that it's only you, Jesus. It's you you, you, and God, I pray that we would be so bright and shiny because of you radiating through us, not because of our good work, that our city would look differently, Lord, as it sees the city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that as it sees the salt of the earth that you've scattered here in Coeur d'Alene, Jesus, move in your people remind us this morning who we are, God. We are your body, and we thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice for us, that you emptied yourself, that you died for us, God, but you did not stay on that cross. Lord, you rose again, and you say that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead actually lives within us, and so I pray, Jesus, that as we leave this place, we walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've given us worthy of the sacrifice that you've made for us, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, for this church. And I pray, God, for all joy to be unleashed in them. God, I pray for all, uh, all peace to be unleashed through them. I pray, Jesus, that you would use them in such powerful ways that they would sit back and wonder who's doing the work and how's that happening through somebody like me. By your grace, God, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.